With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's the Euros Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for joining us. So it's time for the final four. The first two up, two heavyweights of the international tournament scene do battle as Italy take on Spain. Mancini's dark horses who have hurdled every obstacle in their way up against Luis Enrique's enigma. Here to preview semi-final one, we have Mirror Sports writer Neil McClellan and Sunday People's Chief Sports writer Neil Moxley. Gentlemen, I hope you're both well. And uh, Neil Moxley, I'll come to you first. And uh, in terms of where we are, semi-final day number one is here. It's been some tournament up to this point. Yeah, it's it's been a fabulous jamboree. I mean, you know, I've got my own opinions on whether or not, you know, teams should be flying all around Europe playing each other. I, I don't think it's been done fairly, but that apart, you know, we've seen some some really good football and some, some pretty, um, you know, some, some upsets, which is, you know, is the essence of the game, really, to be honest. I mean, if you look at, uh, if I look at my Sunday people, Daily Mirror, uh, pre tournament wall chart, and I filled in all the, uh, all the blanks like you do, because we're still, you know, kids at heart. You know, all the you know teams like France who I had winning it. You know, they've they've fallen, and, and and here we are. So it's yeah, it's been a fabulous, guy, and you know, it's uh, it's coming to a fitting end now with four teams who were sure to bring a bit more excitement to it. Yeah, Neil, you were you were on on opening day with John Cross, and we were talking about how we thought today may well may well be Italy against France. Italy have done it. As I said in the intro, dark horses. I mean, coming into the tournament, I don't think many people maybe foresaw them getting to a final, but they've got a real chance, haven't they? Absolutely. I, th- I mean, it's just the, the momentum being building for, you know, a, a couple of years. I think a lot of people had such a low view of them because of the, the disaster of not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. But they've, they've been they've been rebuilt over that time with a, with a very young team under Roberto Mancini. And one of the effects of having the tournament delayed for a year, I think, has been an advantage to them that these these young these young guys have got more experience. And you're right. I thought looking at as as Neil said at the start of the tournament, you look at how the groups works out and the matches and the knockout fate. I thought France Italy would be this semi final. I thought the winner of this match would go on to to win it. So I mean, France have, uh, have typically they either win it or end in disaster. So they they went out in rows and. Rabiot's mum having to go at Mbappe's father is a typical way for the French to end it, it either glory or the, completely the opposite. So th- this is set up for a fantastic game tonight. Yeah, we're going to talk about both sides. Let's let's get into the Italians first, I suppose. And well, Neil Moxley, just off the back of the, the game against Belgium, it's going to be sort of some effort for them to lift themselves again because that was pulsating end to end, just proper sort of heavyweight knockout football, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I just wonder whether we can draw any parallels really with the uh, England game against Germany, um, you know, sitting as in the Stadio Olimpico on, on Saturday night, it's fortunate enough to be there. And I just wondered how England were going to approach the game, given the huge emotional um, effort that they put into, you know, overcoming the Germans. And I, th- I just wonder, looking at this one, whether it's going to be the same, a little bit the same for, for the Italians. You know, this was, um, that, that Belgian game was a, a major hurdle for them to, uh, to overcome. And um, you know, let's not take you know, let's not uh, down, down, downplay the 
effort that it took to, to beat a side that's ranked number one in, in the world. Um, having said that, you know, they're coming up against a, a Spain side that will that will give them a chance um, in terms of, um, I'm not quite sure really what Spain are. I mean, they seem to be able to create chances at will, but, you know, they also seem to have odd moments of madness at the back, which seem to give every side they play, um, they've played against, with the exception of Slovakia, um, a real chance, a real chance against them. But for me, I just think that the fact that you know the Italians, you know, prior to 2018, were always regarded, well, have been one of the most successful sides, not just in European football but also world football. And Roberto Mancini is a, a coach of the highest caliber. I, I would think he would have very quickly um, done, done uh, you know, damp, dampened down the uh, dampened down the uh, faux uh, joy, perhaps, um, that they might have felt after coming through their quarterfinal. And uh, yeah, I expect them to be fully focused now that they're entering the business stage of this competition. And they've they they may okay they've got Immobile, but they may not really have sort of a, a real elite world class number nine at the top end of the pitch, Neil. But they've got in sort of the likes of Chiesa we saw against Austria, Barella, albeit normally plays in midfield, but that sort of turn in the penalty area and goal against Belgium was brilliant. And Insigne on the opening night and then against Belgium as well, they've got sort of so many attacking players around just what is sort of nominally the number nine that they do carry such a threat. That's right. As a Napoli fan, that Insigne goal the other night was absolutely sensational, wasn't it? And you're right. And even, even Marco Verratti, I mean, he's been, in Paris, use him as a, usually a holding midfielder. Under Pochettino, he's been used higher up the pitch. And you see the way he got forward and pressed for the Barella goal the other night, won the ball back and gave the pass. So it, it, you're right, they, they, they're just a, a really good team and a real drill team and they know exactly what they're doing. And when one player, and Mancini's been able to rotate the squad, he's actually quite interesting stat. He used 25 of the 26 players in his squad, only the, merit, the, the reserve goalkeeper hasn't been on the pitch. And you haven't really noticed the difference. I mean, he made so many changes against Wales. But everyone that comes in, plays the same role as they, who they're replacing. And you haven't really noticed, you know, the, the drop in quality. So I think that's one of the uh, one of the one of the great things about how well organized that they are. Whereas Spain, you don't really know what to expect. And I think there's a stat they've they've scored 12 goals of the highest goal scorers in the tournament. You certainly wouldn't have thought that after watching their opening game against Sweden. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Coming into this game Leonardo Bonucci sort of said that this is going to be an open game and it will be two sides going against each other, which I suppose you wouldn't normally have said about the Italians in a knockout game, that we expect them to be sort of shut up shop and so defensively aware. But in this tournament, uh, Neil Moxley, I'll throw this one to you. They, they, they have been open. They scored the three goals in the opening two games and obviously against Belgium, even sort of after they took that lead, they didn't just shut up shop. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Yes, I, I take your point there, Guy. But you know, it's they still their success is built on the strength of their defence. You know, I mean, they scored three goals in the opening game, but it all came. I think I might be saying it seems like ages ago now, doesn't it? Uh, I think they all came in the second half of that game yeah. when they st eventually steamrolled a, a very poor Turkey Turkey side. You know, and the success has been built pretty much like England's on the on the strength of, the, of their backline. Um, yeah, I'm not quite exactly sure about what what he foresees as an open game. I just see Italy. Doing like as they did, to, uh, they, as they've done to every team, not just close down space very quickly, getting Spain's faces. And it depends really for me how quickly Spain can move the ball, whether they can pass around the press, as to whether or not they're as to, as to whether or not they're successful or not. I mean, just looking at that uh, it Italian side, they don't seem to have a uh, an out and out um, you know goal scorer in the mould of uh, Harry Kane. But um, like Neil says, there's been um, 
other players. I mean, I've been really impressed with uh, Chiesa. I think he's been. I think he's a little star. He, he works his socks off. He's a threat everywhere. Um, you know, he can play anywhere along that forward line. I, I think he's been a. I think he's been a real uh, eye opener. I know people have talked about Spinazzola, but for me, you know, Chiesa has been the. You know, been one of the stars of the the, the tournament. And I, I, I think, to be honest with you, I think Italy are going to have a little bit too much for Spain tonight. Yeah, I sort of tend to agree with you because there have also now been so many players, haven't there, of this Italy team that you think of Chiesa, certainly with that goal against Austria and just his, his dazzling performances down the wing anyway. But then Locatelli in the group stage, he was the main man. He's now getting linked with a, a move to Arsenal. Do you think a, a number of these Italian players, to me, I know there are a few not playing in Serie A, but it feels like that 2006 squad they had where all of them were playing in Italy at the same time and they were a very close sort of unit that maybe outside of Italy, not too many of us knew about. But this tournament seems to be sort of a platform where a lot of them are exploding onto sort of the, I suppose, the grand stage for us all to see. I think in the, around the context of Italian football over maybe over the last few years hasn't been... Had, haven't certainly had the result and hasn't got the respect. I mean, it's interesting they're playing Spain tonight and you'd think for most of the last decade, certainly starting in 2008, you'd think Spanish football was the, the model and the strongest and they had the most famous players and they won, obviously won three consecutive tournaments and knocked Italy out a couple of those Euros as well. And I think, you know, the Italian football generally from that low point in 2018 and Juventus really haven't competed in Europe either. They've reached finals but haven't, you know, won it and it's losing out to Spanish clubs. I think there's, that's been a change over this tournament. Everyone sort of realised this new generation of Italian f players are really good. And, and, and traditionally, Italy brings through great players, technically very good. So, you know, whether these players want to come over to the Premiership, I mean, Serie A has got a lot better as well. So that's that's, that's really a, a great competition as well. But it's, it's interesting the way how fashions, it's like trends change that now, you know, maybe Premier League club will be looking at more Italian players. Yeah, most definitely. It, it does sort of seem that way. And I suppose on, on Spinazzola, Neil, just in terms of his tournament may well be over. He pulled up with that. Uh, I think it was a hamstring injury, wasn't it, against Belgium? Looks as though his tournament, yeah. Uh, yeah, his tournament may be over, but sort of that... that Goal line stop against Romelu Lukaku. I mean, absolutely vital. He's kept Italy in it. And now, obviously, they're going to have to linger on without him. And Emerson of Chelsea, who, albeit is in this squad, we still, even though he plays over here, don't know all too much about him. He's going to come in. Yeah, I mean, uh, he certainly wasn't one of Frank Lampard's favourites, was he? He couldn't, you know, within 30 seconds of uh, arriving at Stamford Bridge, the rumours started that, you know, Ben Chilwell would be coming in. And I think uh, Emerson's been a, a little bit um, unfortunate. I think the general feeling... Neil will probably know better than I, but from, from from a distance, it appears to be that he he likes going forward and he's not so keen on his defensive work. Well, you know, it probably explains why Spinazzola's got in got in, in uh, Mancini's side ahead, ahead of um, Emerson. But listen, if that's the case, you know, you can expect uh, Emerson to to um, to perhaps rein in a, a little of those uh, attacking instincts. But um, yeah, look, it's a blow. You know, the the guy was. Uh, from left back had sort of lift, lit up the tournament as far as the Italians were concerned. We, you know, and he was repeatedly getting man of the match from from um, from his defensive berth, and and quite honestly, attacks and doing with the side that, that Italy have got and the uh, talent that they've got at their disposal at the moment. Yeah, just, to, just to pick up on that, talking about trends and everything, I think, well, I think Italy first of all really miss Spinazzola tonight just because of his ability to link up with Insignia and Verratti that, down that left side, and also he's. You know, a right-footed player playing at left-back, jinking inside. It's all, I mean, it was talking about one of the trends, and Joachim Mahler is sort of similar at Denmark, the, the, that cross he produced at the outside of his right foot the other night. 
just think that's one of the things that going into the next season, how we'll see, whether that will be a, a feature, a trend that we'll see back in the Premier League. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking as you, as Neil was saying that actually regarding that because Myla for me has been one of the standout players. I know Spinazzola, a lot of people have sort of uh, given a lot of praise to, but yeah, Myla for me has been absolutely fantastic. But Gareth Southgate did try it back in the the autumn internationals, didn't he, against Denmark in the Nations League, and we were accused of having all too many right footers coming infield. So uh, it can either work brilliantly or or not at all. Yeah. But let's have a word. Well, in, fa- in fairness, yeah. guy, he played Trippier at left back, didn't he, in the first yeah. game? So, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it has yeah. been it has been used. Yeah, no, exactly. So uh, yeah, maybe Gareth Southgate was the trendsetter, who knows. Let's let's have a word on, on Spain though. Neil Moxo, come back to you on this and for me Spain are everything. We were kind of warned Italy might be before the tournament began that they could play some nice football. It was maybe a bit of a, a different style from what you would expect of Italians. But at the top end of the pitch, they were wasteful. Now, we've already said that they're the top scorers, so it sounds sort of counterproductive to say they're wasteful. But they do miss an awful lot of chances. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were we, we pitched up, we were sitting in the hotel bar, a few of us watching the game on uh, on Friday night. And it was, I think, you know, it was 28 chances in the end that created. 10 on target, you know, seven sort of thing. I mean, it was just like, you know, I just, I look at Alvaro Morata and I just, I was speaking to somebody, you know, who's in the game yesterday about him. He said, I I think he's a really wonderful striker. Contrary to what everybody else might think, I think he's a wonderful striker. But I think he's really lacking the confidence of thinking that he's a wonderful striker. That's what this person said to me. And and you know what? You can sometimes see in his finishes, um, I can't remember the game now, that left foot uh, finish, was it against Croatia? Um, when he absolutely wellied it in and, and there was just there was just never a hint ever any hint once he got the ball that you thought he was going to miss but on other occasions you see him and you just wonder whether he's ever actually played in the position before I mean I, I really like Morata but I just wonder whether or not he, if he if he was bursting with the confidence that seems to seep through Harry Kane's every every court that, that Spain would, would, would have a little bit better of a chance I mean I just think that uh, it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not they can keep fashioning those chances tonight against, like I say, an Italian team that, you know, seems to pride itself on on, on clean sheets like like the Italian teams did of old. It's one of yes. the subjects tonight is like Morata coming up against these two Juventus teammates, Gillian and Benucci at the back. So that's going to be a more fascinating battle to watch how he get, how he, if he can get one over on those two. But it, do, it seems, doesn't it, Neil, that they have to sort of fashion, I don't know, eight to eight to ten chances for every one goal they want to score, which doesn't help. And for me, coming into the tournament, I thought, well, if Morata's not going to be firing, they've got Moreno in reserve, who's been scoring a lot of goals for Villarreal. But he's come in and, I mean, in the game against Switzerland, it seemed to really be him who the the big chances were falling to. He took his penalty very well, but even stepping up for that, I was thinking, crikey, given how the game's gone for him, I'm not sure he's going to even have the confidence to put this away. I know, so it's almost that like Spain have reached the last four in spite of not because of, because of their two fours. I think that's one of the, the fascinating things about this last four. There's like a different story for all of them. I think we obviously yeah. wouldn't have picked, or I, don't, I certainly didn't pick these four teams to get through to the semi. So England, you know, first, looking for the first trophy for so long. And Denmark, I've got the Christian Eriksen story. And Italy coming back from the missing the World Cup. And Spain, I mean, what, what a... It's often the way that you know, in adversity things come through. So they had all this controversy before the tournament with Luis Enrique not picking any Real Madrid players and, uh, and leaving out Ramos, etc. And then they had the COVID outbreak in the cabinet. It's also, it just seems that there's a real team spirit to them, that uh, they've, they've sort of made up almost like more than the sum of their parts 
in in some ways. And I think well, and also Busquets and Aspilicueta coming back into the team has really helped them. So they, they've actually developed into a team right when when at the, at the start of the tournament, the first couple of games, they didn't look great at all. Neil, go back to what you said sort of at the start of the podcast in terms of not really being a fan of sort of obviously through the pandemic, this tournament being played out across Europe. Do you think home bias is sort of evidenced in the fact of the last four we've got? Because all of these were sides who were getting all of their group games at home. I know Spain sort of trudged through their group, but we are at a stage now where sort of the, the final four were all playing in their, their home cities right at the start of the tournament. Yes, I do. In short, I mean, it's a very difficult um, argument to sort of uh, qualify, really, other than to say, you know, Neil, uh, I have both been on European trips away, lengthy European trips sometimes, you know, and I've got a great deal of sympathy um, for football for football clubs who play in, um, you know, deeply starkish Romania or even further afield on a Wednesday night and have and have to come back on, you know, for Premier League fixtures on at twelve thirty on on Saturday. I think, you know. There was some, you know, merit in in Jurgen Klopp's um, argument last 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 year, whether or not he should have been making it to, you know, in public, or whether or not he should have been making it to the clubs who sign up to these competitions is another matter whatsoever. But there is a, there is a fatigue, you know. I do think it plays a part, and um, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that uh, the teams that have had home advantage have, have managed to get through to the last to the last four. It's got it's in my opinion, it's bound to have. You're going back to hotels and uh, training camps, you know, well, after each game, there's no upheaval, there's no packing your bag, there's no getting on the bus, there's no getting to the airport, uh, there's no uh, difference in venues. You know, the familiarity, you know, does count for something. If it didn't, why do so many teams happen to win the home tournaments that, you know, where the, you know, where the stage, you know, England being one of them back in 66, as we all know. So, yeah, I do. But it's a very difficult one to, to, to quantify other than to say from personal experience, that you know, uh, you know, travelling's travelling's draining, and that for footballers, you know, despite the uh, fact that they've got pretty much every win catered for, it, it, it will also have a, a tiring effect. And you know, people can dismiss that if they want, but that's my personal experience. Yeah, but all the all the while England is still in, we're we're all right to sort of just gloss over it. But uh, it, just in terms of uh, Neil McClellan, just last point on on Spain. Um, we mentioned a few standout players for, for Italy. There have been many. For Spain, maybe not so much. We, we spoke about the guys at the top end of the pitch, but in midfield, in Pedri, they've got an 18-year-old who I think for the next 12 to 15 years we're still going to be talking about. He's been absolutely brilliant. And albeit he could be at the heart of, I suppose, a rebuild for Barcelona where everything's crumbling around him. And he might be have to be the one at 18 to sort of keep it all together. Yeah, I think the midfield battle is going to be fascinating tonight. As you mentioned, all the, the strikers usually get all the, the the glory and a lot of attention to the, the defences. But the the, the, the the way the midfield three um, line up with Busquets and um, Pedri and Koke on one side for the Spain, and that, so Pedri's like this teenager. Who's, the way the way it's come out that Thiago and Rodri, like big name, big you know, big expensive players, is keeping them out just because the blend of the, the the blend of the midfield and he's able to carry the ball and. Have an attacking threat. I think it's going to be fascinating. So the, the Italians got Jorginho's are sitting there, and um, Barella and Verratti. So their battle and the, the control of the ball and who who's going to the possession. That, I think that's going to be so crucial to the game. I think Pedri is one of the the stars along with the goalkeeper. 
you know, who, who uh, Simon, who's, who's become a, he's had his low moments as well, but he's a, a, a young star that's been burst onto the scene as well. So I think that, that, as you say, that's good for the future of Spanish football. Yeah, the two of them involved in that incident in Copenhagen, weren't they, with the, with the yeah. young goal that I think has been accredited to, to Pedri eventually. But Neil Moxley, just in terms of Pedri, I mean, it's some compliment to him, isn't it, that he's keeping out somebody sort of the class of Thiago Alcantara, who, rewind the clock 12 months, was man of the match in the Champions League final. Well, yes, absolutely, Guy, there's that. And uh, the fact that, you know, we rave about the likes of Phil Foden, who's 20 now, and, and quite rightly so, you know, he's playing in uh, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City side. And, you know, he's, Pep's brought him through quite, um, quite, 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 uh, he's been quite conservative with him, really. Um, and here we are, Pedri, 18 years old, being thrown in um, into a, you know, a, a European Championship uh, semi uh, court semi-final with, with, a season's worth of experience at Barcelona under his belt. I mean, it, it's um, it's some going. I mean, there are, again, there are comparisons to be made, I suppose, with Jude Bellingham. And you look at how, how highly Bellingham's rated. I know Pedri's a completely different player, of course. But, you know, given the fact that he's he's got this um, mantle, and uh, he's got this platform, uh, been given it by, well, earned it rather, by uh, Barcelona. I mean, he, he, he's he clearly... Clearly, he's going to be a talent around which the Spanish side will will, will base their um, their base their future campaigns. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Right before we go, then a few sort of loose ends to tie up. Uh, uh, Neil Moxley, I'll come back to you on this first up and reading a few sort of transfer rumours now beginning to to pick up. Certainly, since Nuno Espirito Santo's gone in at Tottenham, that they're on the lookout for a striker. And two of the names are being linked with are Patrick Schick. Obviously, got five goals for for the Czech Republic before going home, and and also Harris Seferovic, who scored those two goals, two headers against France for for Switzerland as well. And I suppose the question is, it's always a dangerous game, isn't it? Looking at a player in a tournament and thinking he'll do as a job. Absolutely, you know, players aren't aren't stupid. They know that they're, they're going for two reasons, really, in, into international tournaments. One is to um, Obviously, play for their country and uh, do the best they they can for their country uh, on an international stage, which also provides them, you know, a, a platform, a showcase, uh, a display cabinet for 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 what they've got as as players. I mean, the most famous one, obviously, was was Gary Lineker back in the nineteen eighty six World Cup when he scored three. You know, he won the golden boot and was uh, on his way to Barcelona. So, but I mean, Barcelona was obviously a you know, a fantastic move for Gary, and but there, and, and it worked out for him. But uh, and with respect to Stick and, and Severovic, I'm I'm not so sure I I would plump for either of those. I think um, I read a piece in the Mirror uh, and the People that weekend with Darren Anderson talking about Raúl Jiménez, and and if um, if Harry Kane was to depart, then then if I was um, Nuno Espirito Santo, given Jiménez's uh, track record and the fact that uh, Nuno knows how to get uh, the best out of him at, at Wolves. I'd certainly be looking in that direction rather than on the back of two, yes, very uh, credit and noteworthy performances by um, by players, you know, over a handful of games at an international tournament. Yeah, Seferovic was being linked quite heavily at one stage with West Brom in January as well, wasn't he? So it sort of seems to be yeah. quite a leap to go for, for, from there to, to sort of Spurs level, if it is indeed going to be a replacement for Harry Kane. But, but Neil Patrick Schick's an interesting one, isn't he? Because he's kind of... He's exploded onto sort of, I suppose, the big stage, like we said, a few of the Italians during this tournament. But he's got a bit of pedigree about him. He's been at AS Roma. He's been on loan at, at RB Leipzig as well. It does feel as though he might have the physicality to maybe be a, a Premier League striker in the making. No, absolutely. I think he looks, looks a really good player. I just agree with Neil that if you are signing a player after he's 
performed well in a big tournament like that, you're going to pay a premium for him. And also, yeah. if you, you've been tracking him for a while, you why wouldn't you do the deal before? So basically, so and, and if you've just become aware of him, that's that's a bit of an issue. I always think of Poborski in Euro 96 when he scored that outrageous lob goal and got signed by Manchester United. I think he appeared on that basis and he wasn't yeah. a... You know, a, a runaway success. But I mean, I like Schick. I mean, I mean, he scored a couple, a couple of the goals of the tournament. So, yeah, I mean, would would he be better? Would Raul Jimenez be better? Probably yes. But I mean, I think Spurs need to need to spend money and need to sort of try and win people over and convince everybody that whether it's to keep Harry Kane and keep their fans happy as well. So they they need to be active in the transfer market over the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, you know, would, would agree with you on that one, right? Last point then to, to kind of get into is a managerial one, actually, as it, as it is, and it's regarding Belgium. Neil Moxley, I'll come to, to you with this one. And Roberto Martinez reading that he's going to be staying on with Belgium, albeit we, throughout the course of the tournament, have been saying, is this maybe their last chance for this golden generation? And again, they've, they've fallen short when it sort of really matters. And for me, you just wonder with Roberto Martinez whether now would have been the time for him to sort of step away from that job and try to get back into club management or if he's kind of going to be, I suppose, closed off and kept in international management for longer. And if it doesn't work out in Qatar for him, where next he would turn? Well, there is that. I just wonder whether Roberto's uh, a couple of things. You know, I watched that programme with him. Um, it was on the BBC, actually, before the tournament kicked off. And he looked very at home with the with the Belgian FA. You know, he's a very affable character. He's very sort of uh, easygoing, charming, Roberto. But make no mistake, you know, it's quite a cute move. If you look at the uh, age profile of this Belgian side, so I'd actually thought look, going into it that this was probably going to be the best chance that they'd got. But I think with the World Cup not being two years away and really and truthfully speaking, only being about, what, 16 months away now, he probably thinks he might get one last hurrah out of this group of players. Um, you know, De Bruyne, for instance, you know, there may only be, I don't quite know Kevin De Bruyne's birthday, but he may only be one year older, for example. Lukaku, only one year older. And, and to be honest with you, I think he's probably looked at it and thought, you know what, I might be able to squeeze one last hurrah out of this lot. And, to be, to be in football and to have a team with the Red Devils um, pedigree at your disposal where you have got a chance of doing something uh, in Qatar, I, I think uh, I think it's a bit of a shrewd move on Roberto Martinez's path. And he's still a relatively young man in managerial terms. He's probably just about below 50. Um, and to be honest with you, I think it's a reasonably shrewd move. So, you know, all the best to him. And I suppose with Belgium last say, Neil, just regarding them, is a lot of their defenders are ageing, but in, in Jeremy Doku in particular, they, they do still have some youngsters coming up that look very lively indeed. I'd say, I mean, I'd say the defence is the big issue. So you've got Vermaelen, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, you know, you know, 16 months, so, but even so, they're going to be that much older as well. I think one of the issues for Martinez is, yeah, I think they've underachieved again. They're the world number one country, and you know that they still haven't you know, even got to a final. And so, I mean, you could say that Martinez hasn't actually attracted the, maybe not the attract the interest from the top clubs. If he, if he'd have won a tournament, if he'd have won the tournament, he'd have had a lot more offers, and they'd have gone further. So I think that's the issue for him. So and, and until something better comes along, I think he's going to stay there. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's just very quickly. Guy. I think that's a really good point that Neil makes. You know, if they're successful in Qatar, if he manages to get to a final, then his stock suddenly rises. And, and at the moment, you know, while he, he's perceived to have done a good job, it's not been an outstanding one. So, in the actual ma managerial marketplace, you know, it's a, it's a it's a very good uh, baton to to keep hold of. 
It's almost as if the, the golden generation tag doesn't normally live up to the billing, but we know all about that over here. Anyway, that's it from us for this edition of the Euro Digest from myself, Guy Clark, Neil Moxley and Neil McClemon. Thanks a lot for your time and your company. It's bye for now.